Welcome to the Republican Professor. This morning we have with us a very special guest, one of my favorite people in local politics in Orange County, Kevin Muldoon. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to call you the professor during this segment. <laughs> Just so we're clear, I, I don't think anyone calls you that uh, off the air. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Kevin is the mayor of Newport Beach. Is that correct? Yes. I always like to get my facts straight. Um, yeah. Well, welcome, Mr. Mayor. Yeah, it's great to be here. Appreciate it. And uh, we've got a bus much better backdrop than I do. I just grabbed it. Uh, you know, pretty standard conference conference room. Yeah, I see. I see. Are you calling from San Francisco, or are you you down here? Well, uh, I'm homeless, as as, and uh, they don't kick me out of this park. This is the Marin Headlands. For those of you listening, and you can't, for those of you listening on Apple Podcasts and can't see it, I have the Marin Headlands in the background, and uh, our guest Kevin has um, uh, a conference room background. So. That's because Kevin is working and I'm homeless up here in uh, the Marin Headlands with the Golden Gate Bridge behind me. And, uh, you know, since I'm homeless, the people in San Francisco, they just leave me alone. And that's until they find out I'm a Republican and then they want to kick me out. And then they're yeah. like, ah, yeah. so Kevin uh, has had a quite a few years in local politics here in Southern California and Orange County. He was elected to the city council of Newport Beach, I think, in 2014. Is that right? Correct. Okay. So it's been, uh, gosh, almost a decade going on a decade. And before that, uh, you had some experience working elsewhere. You want to tell us about that? Or do you want to start with your story? Yeah. Well, I know uh, we're both Orange County guys. I, I grew up in Orange County, grew up in Lake Forest. And uh, I kind of went to law school because I loved politics and knew I could still use a law degree in business. And uh, when I got out of law school, I entered the White House. I think that's what you, you were alluding to or talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, so that was a great experience. Uh, that was for President George W. Bush. And I worked in what's called the executive office building. That's the big office building right next to the White House where most staff work. The, the, the uh, East Wing is for the First Lady. And uh, the West Wing is actually relatively small and there's a large building right next to it called the executive office building and you take the navy steps across west exec avenue and it takes you up to uh vice president's office indian treaty room and most offices are staff so i was in that building and it was a amazing experience um and that was in 2006 during the midterm so i also saw that's when the Republicans lost the House and Senate. And there was a lot of uh, blaming of, of the Iraq war and Rumsfeld left after that loss. I think Republicans were spending too much and the voters, rather than being energized like they were by, by Reagan, they were a little fatigued by looking like uh, a Democrat party like at times. Uh, so <clears throat> I saw that, uh, uh, that loss that was experienced, which typically is experienced in a president who is in a war in the second um, second term, midterm, which what historically um, does happen. But I personally think that if you are doing amazing things and you're really reducing the debt, and cutting spending, you're going to energize your, your base and you're not going to have that base fatigue that we experienced. So uh, that was a great experience and came back and was sworn in as an attorney. 
uh, practice law as a prosecutor here in Orange County again. Great experience, toughest job I've ever had. Really, I mean, <clears throat> really tough. I get, can imagine how tough it must be for prosecutors under Gascon because it's just demoralizing uh, them not even going after true criminals for what they should go after them. But even when you are prosecuting criminals, um, you're trying to get justice after the fact and dealing with yeah. some attorneys who sometimes will lie. You uh, just referenced Gascon. I just want to make a little note in here for people far in the future. That's the uh, L.A. County District Attorney that's serving right now. That's right. L.A. County only gets recalled. I was under uh, Tony Rakakis here in Orange County, good, a good prosecutor uh, who, who went after criminals to the fullest extent. And luckily, Todd Spitzer just won re-election against uh, some opponents. And he's also a good prosecutor here in Orange County, goes after criminals for the fullest extent. And um, I voted for him. <laughs> oh, as did I. And even with um, the office support and the, and the head of prosecutor support, um, there's a lot of... Uh, tough stuff you've got to see and witness and police reports and, and witness testimony. And uh, it was a, a very difficult job, but a great training experience for politics. Wow. Well, man, uh, you look so young and it's like we barely got out of the, into the Obama administration and you're already, you got experience in the white house as a prosecutor um what how did you go from the leap from prosecutor to city council and i think you're you're um but maybe it's probably good to also mention for folks that don't know what a city council member does mm -hmm. and uh is it full-time is it part-time yeah a little bit about that yeah it's, it's a part-time position here in newport beach and I was private sector for a lot of years after being a prosecutor and worked for businesses as general counsel and now don't practice much law at all. And I was living in Newport. Uh, in Newport, you have to live in a specific district, meaning a part of the city, in order to represent that district. And a couple of businessmen and activists approached me and they wanted me to run uh, for city council. It's a citywide race, but again, you got to live in a certain district. And then they couldn't find anyone else in the district. So uh, slim. Slim Pickens, I thought I never wanted to be in local government. I, I said, no, thank you. Um, I do really enjoy politics. I enjoyed my time in Washington and um, I enjoy the, the federal issues, but I have no interest in serving on a local uh, government board, uh, but they, they persisted. And um, I agreed because I thought um, I, I had the time and, and, uh, and I thought that there are some good issues that we were running on. So I got elected 2014. Like I said, it's a, it's a part-time position. It's a part-time council. They pay you a small stipend and it, that easily takes uh, 10 to 20 hours on an off week and 20 hours plus on a city council week where you meet. Um, so it's, it's a demanding part-time position. Uh, but yeah, I've done that for almost eight years now. And two of those eight years, I've been mayor. I'm, I'm, I'm mayor currently. And our colleagues on council, there are seven of us. We select the seven among us. So I was honored to be selected for this year. And this is my final year. I'm turned off the city council this year. And I'll, I'll go back to the private sector and, um, and keep enjoying uh, the excitement of business. I, I enjoy business. Hmm. Can you give us a sense of what that stipend is? We're just curious. Yeah. Those kind of details are interesting yeah. to us. Yeah, it's about $1,000 a, a month. 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's W. You're a W two employee. It's a thousand dollars a month salary, um, but uh, it, it is technically a job. And um, you know, council members have tried to fight the IRS or the state on whether or not it's employment, and the courts have ruled it's employment. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so it's like a part time. It's really part time, like grocery store wage job basically yeah um you know you, you don't do it for the money you don't do it for the money okay i'll put that that's going to be the title of <laughs> yeah. this episode you don't do it for the money yeah well some people listening in the future will probably think that well they they might not know anything about local politics i think a lot of people don't and they maybe follow national politics a little mm-hmm. bit like they maybe know uh the major players a little bit uh, most people have no idea how big the government is no concept how big the government in washington is let alone the state <laughs> um so but the, i think uh the local politics is just the most they know is they drive through the neighborhood from the grocery mm-hmm. store to the gas station mm-hmm. and they see yard signs and maybe they know a name because they see yard signs but that's about probably all they know. So you've already given them way more than they knew before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a seven member council. Uh, they, and then you guys choose. Uh, did you vote for yourself to be mayor? Shamelessly? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. So it's something you wanted to do. But oh, yeah. Reason- okay. yeah. It's all a right. real honor. And uh, it was the first time was unanimous. Second time, I think there's one person dissenting, but oh, for the yeah. most part, it's consensus position. Yeah. And, the tradition has been um, to rotate once a year, but the charter actually says you, you, you serve two years or at the pleasure of your colleagues. And it's become a one-year tradition and it's not adversarial. It's very friendly. Um, you might not have the ability to serve one year as mayor because big time commitment. So other people are approached and uh, it really creates a cohesive council. It's the most common form of local government here in California. Most cities have uh, a rotating mayor versus what's called a direct elect mayor. And then even among the direct elect mayors, they're often not full-time positions. The full-time position mayors you might think of would be like Los Angeles, um, yeah. San Francisco, well, they have board supervisors, um, San mm-hmm. Diego, Fresno, some of the larger cities, they're the ones that have a, a full-time mayor who acts almost more like an executive than a, than a legislative body. Okay. All right. So the mayor in those bigger areas is, um, is he a member of the city council? Yeah, they still be considered a member, elected member of the city council, and they might have more votes than their colleagues. And they might have the power, the veto power, mm-hmm. um, but they are truly are uh, an executive form of government. Whereas we oversee a city manager, almost like a corporation, he or she will be like a CEO and the mayors are the chairman of the board and the other council members are board members. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That's very you, you still get like the Secret Service detail protection. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there used to be about 50 years ago in Newport Beach, we called our mayor uh, the president and oh. the other council members were the trustees, maybe longer than 50 years ago. And I used to joke that to be the president of Newport Beach, you would have a like an old 80s limousine with some third world country flags waving on the front and, and, and a detail. Um, so I'm sure at, at some point, yes, in Newport Beach, they had some sort of uh, special presidential treatment, but not today. With transparency and, and 
the press, there the, the really are no special favors. I, people joke all the time. Can you get me out of a parking ticket? The answer is no. I could not. <laughs> that's hilarious. Wow. That's funny. Um, Kevin, what does the mayor do then? I mean, why would you want to be mayor? I'm asking because I, I, I remember getting my first professor job. It was a sim teaching symbolic logic. I was so honored to get the job. I didn't have any teaching experience of my own. I was a TA, but I didn't. It was mm. the first time I was going to teach the class with my name on the syllabus. Mm -hmm. Well, later I found out I probably got the job because nobody else wanted to teach that job. And so for That's years, cool. I was like, I thought I was like all awesome, but it just turned out like I was like the schmuck. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't think that's the case with the mayor, but I was just kind of pushing into like, think, uh, obviously if, if you voted for yourself, you wanted the job and other people, but, but is there something about the job that makes it more difficult to be uh, on the city council? Is it a harder job? You don't get paid more, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's sure the first I, I would like to say that when I said no one calls a professor outside of this podcast, I meant socially where I know you. I did not be socially. Yeah. So um yeah. Yeah, symbolic right, logic. Right. I, I took that in undergrad. That's a very tough class to learn, I imagine, to teach. And um the first time teaching it was the first couple of times teaching it was uh I was I was working really hard, put it that yeah, way. Sure. And then after, after a while you get used to it. Yeah. So I will try to answer it with symbolic logic. It is not necessarily the case, but likely the case that you want to be mayor yourself. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> and um, it's a huge honor. It's a huge honor. It's not just being someone who, um, who has a pulse and, um, and it is available pretty much everyone on council wanting mayor at least once during their tenure, perhaps twice. And I've never heard of anyone turning it down. Uh, I'm sure it's happened, but I, I haven't heard of, of, of it happening. Um, it's a larger time commitment. You have to attend more ceremonies. And you, you speak on behalf of the city, if you will. So when you had a proclamation for a special event, it's signed by the mayor, not the rest of the members of the council. And it's written in the mayor's voice. So there's a ceremonial component to being mayor. <clears throat> and then there's a procedural component to being mayor when you're on the dais. You, you essentially, um, you run the meetings. Uh, you, you don't have much more say over the agenda. At Newport Beach, we have a custom where um, the, the mayor is not a very strong mayor and that they don't decide what does, it does not go on the agenda. But um, you do run the meeting. Sometimes you make the decision on what rules are followed during the meetings. We, we loosely follow our rituals. Um, but you still have one vote. Um, so you're, you're pretty similar to your colleagues, except for the ceremony component. And you get a slight increase in that stipend I mentioned. You make, I think, about 100 bucks more a month. So it pays a little better, too. Um, which, again, it's, it, you know, we're not in it for, uh, for the money. But uh, you'd be able to so it's not like you were like, let me think about it. And they said that it's a hundred dollars more a month. And you're like, I'm in, I'm in. That's right. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. That's a couple of padrones right there. I'm in. Yeah. We, uh, you know, the, the, we don't even get it. We do get an office. The mayor does have a special office, which I never use. Uh, we don't get a parking spot. Um, it's they're really uh, the perks are in the intangible.
Why don't you use the office? Is it does it suck? No, it's, it's, it's nice. I'll tell you. First off, it's not as nice as the city manager's office. City manager has an ocean view, which tells you where the power really lies. It really, city manager. It, it lies yeah. in the bureaucracy and the staff who can stay there for decades and um, can wait out council members and can work to undermine council members on a regular basis. That that's just the reality of of, of working in local government. No, it, it, it's a nice office, but I've got a day job. And, uh, I, you know, today, modern technology, you could just do a Zoom or call in. If someone were wanting to meet with me on a formal issue, I might have them meet me in the mayor's office, but really I'd probably prefer a conference room at City Hall. So there, there just isn't a lot of a, a use for it. But mm-hmm. I, I will tell you, it's interesting, interesting in Newport. Um, we don't have um, offices for the other council members. I, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of odd. Every other city I've seen, Every council member has an office. Um, in Newport, only uh, the mayor has an office, and quite frankly, everyone can use it. Um, so again, it, it, it's not about the perks. We're not motivated by that in Newport Beach. Uh, we don't even have a lot of the perks that other, the other cities do. I'm in it uh, because I, I'm a true believer in, uh, in limited government individual freedoms. That makes sense. I think if uh, maybe if uh, those perks were a little bit more, well, if, if, if you mentioned everybody can use the, the, the office, if, if that wasn't the case, it might be that the vote was slightly different. <laughs> I don't know, but it seems like it's a non-adversarial place to, to work. And you don't seem to me when I, you know, talk to you, you don't seem like uh an annoyingly ambitious person like there's in in politics when you're in politics for a while you're around politics people it can be this way in um in certain scholarly uh mm-hmm. groups as well that there are people that are ambitious in the worst sense of the term and what i mean by that is uh it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it for yourself but it's um and maybe you and maybe other people have seen it and they just can't recognize what it is, but it's a, uh, it's um, it's kind of a short sightedness. I would say mm-hmm. it's, it's a, you might be having a conversation with somebody at a, at event, like a cocktail thing. And then they're constantly looking around to see who else is showing up but to mm-hmm. see it's all about appearances and it's not about yeah. substance. Yeah. I've discovered you're not that way at all. Uh, you're about to me and my, and I, I mean, I, I don't know you extremely well, but, but it seems like you have quite a bit of substance actually there. And, uh, I got the sense that you were in politics for not, not like these annoyingly, um, ambitious short-sighted thing, but you actually are a true believer. Yeah. In other words, you when you say you, I'm just responding to your comment about you believe in liberty, limited government. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that? What that means for you? Yeah, well, first of all, nice stuff for you to say, Lucas. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I believe that uh, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as the saying goes. And that the best kind of government is is small and limited. It's answers to the people. And when you have that type of government, that is. Uh, too small to control your lives, they're less likely to, to turn their guns on 
on the people. Like we see, <clears throat> unfortunately, in so many communist and, 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 and socialist regimes, we see the eventual um, shutting down of, of, uh, of all dissenting voices and then eventually um, uh, extreme measure of annihilating its own citizens. And that is a constant trend we've seen throughout history. And it's naive to think that, that trend is somehow going to stop. Um, government is, 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 is never something that, that you should fully trust. And uh, history has told us time and time again that um, uh, too much power, too much centralized power um, is a threat to not only basic liberties you and I enjoy, but enjoy, but life. Um, so that's really um, what motivates me when I was younger. I was um, had more of a, of, a, of a libertarian bent, if you will. I wasn't as socially conservative, and then I, I kind of grew out of that. And you know, I, I still am, am, uh, have a libertarian bent, but I'm I'm much more uh, you know uh, socially conservative. And I, at the end of the day, I, I think so many of us can disagree on some of those issue, social issues, but we can agree that the biggest threat to all of our freedoms and to our life is, is, is a big government. Mm -hmm. So that's where I come from, from a business standpoint and economic standpoint, it's also inefficient and it's a, it destroys production and, yeah. and individual ambition and, and motivate and motivation to create new products and, and, and successful businesses. So it and not only is it a threat to our freedom and liberty and life, but it's also um, uh, a destroyer of prosperous civilization. So I'm I'm basically that's really that's really what motivates me. But I'm just you know I'm also a Christian. I just sort of believe in doing what what God puts in front of me. I think at the end of the day. Um, He's in charge, and I get a lot of peace from knowing that uh, uh, certain people or um, certain movements that I that I view as as really evil are are not just going to get get away with it scot free, and they might in in this life, but there there are consequences for our actions in, in the next life as well, and uh, that get that gives me a lot of peace because otherwise um, it could be really. Uh, disheartening to, to see what people will do to other people. Yeah. Uh, can you give us an example of of a threat to business that government poses that you, when you have? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, business well, is important for especially the last two years. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw the shutdowns happen, and um, I was. I was pretty disturbed by how how callous and cavalier uh, some people that don't even run for election were about government uh, government's power to crush a small business, yeah. and I was I was deeply disturbed by uh, some of the rhetoric that I saw from people that would be customers of those businesses. Mm -hmm. um after the businesses disappeared uh there was surprise yeah. <laughs> and and to me that's just such a lack of attention span um Very there's, sure. yeah. there's there's further consequences too because businesses pay taxes 
Mm-hmm. Payroll tax is the biggest mm-hmm. one. Um, mm-hmm. Sales tax. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of taxes, of course, income tax, the, the people that work there pay income tax and that that can be a huge, there's property taxes. If, if the businesses aren't there to pay those taxes into the government as revenue and all levels of government, then the, the, the so-called generous services, and I hate that word generous because I don't think it applies to business at all. I'm sorry. I don't think, well, I, I don't think it applies to government. It might apply to business. It depends on the structure of the business, but, mm-hmm. but the government is not generous. The government has no compassion whatsoever. They might spend a lot on some program, but that yeah. doesn't mean it's generosity. Yeah. <laughs> um, generosity is a very specific thing, but how do you get the money into the government coffers if people are getting laid off and they're not paying taxes on their income, they're not mm-hmm. getting payroll tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not. Uh, and then if the business goes out of, out of business, then who's paying property tax on, well, it might be the person that owns the business uh, building, but then if they don't have tenants, how are they going to pay the, the tax? Anyway, I just, can you talk about your concern about, the threat to business. I just gave one example of, yeah. of uh, just extreme uh, fear, mm-hmm. fear mongering on, a, on uh, public health, but there's other examples, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, well Milton Friedman said that all um, freedoms come from economic freedoms and there's some truth to it. Clearly God had a natural order in store that involved uh, harvesting reaping what you sow. And uh, we know through, through civilizations that um, the ability to have a middle class uh, or um, empowered uh, people below the king, like the Magna Carta, allows you to, um, to enjoy freedoms. And with, with that economic independence, uh, you're less reliant on a centralized power. Uh, so, but I, I think people either don't have the education or, 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 or the background, that very niche subject about, I'm a history major, I, I love history, but if you don't have a real passion for that, um, you might not understand how important it is to have small businesses. And, you know, in fact, even an Elon Musk is good, although we, not, we can't relate to someone who has um, that much wealth, uh, and Elon Musk can stand up to, uh, um, a really strong authority. And then numerous people of, of that economic uh, position uh, can stand up to a president or a king, which is, which is the concept that uh, we, we inherited uh, via the, the Magna Carta f- from England, that it's not just one, one authority. Um, so when you have fractured power and decentralized power and individuals who, who can stand up for themselves and for others, you have checks and balances, if you will. And, and economics, I would argue, is like Milton Friedman said, is basically the foundation. And that foundation brings us all these liberties. So I believe if someone is, is saying, you know, shut down that business, never mind that the mayor might be um, ignoring the, shut, the lockdown rules themselves, but we're going to shut down this specific business. Case of Los Angeles, we're going to shut off their power and water and do really dictatorial moves. Um, well, I, I, I might travel somewhere and, and and, and disobey my own orders in another state, a free state, 
I mean, the hypocrisy was, was unbelievable, but not only do they not understand economic freedoms and where it comes from, but, but they might have a void in their lives. They might not have faith. They might not have fulfillment. And so I think that some people enjoy seeing power exerted that, that, that fills a void for them, or maybe they make the state something that's not the state, the state is not God. The state, the state doesn't love you. You're not made in the image of the state, but some people might make the state their God, like they were required to in, in the Soviet Union. So um, whether you are a, a true believer in this um, omnipotent um, state or whether you, you just like to see power exert over others um, and you don't understand the consequences to your own uh, economic and, per, and personal liberties, you might enjoy uh, watching power be exerted over small businesses and, and, and over people who want to feed their family. I mean, we're, we're, some some people when they can't provide for the family, they're they're going to take their own lives. They're going to abuse drugs. They're going to get in physical altercations because they can't take care of a basic human need, which is to provide or to have. Um, uh, the requirements you need for shelter and food. So the, the social consequences of the lockdowns were um, awful and ignored for some time. And uh, you know, we saw suicides rise, we saw substance abuse, we saw domestic violence, um, really heart-wrenching, uh, unnecessary. There's that, uh, I think what the, the Johns Hopkins study showed lockdowns weren't even effective, totally unnecessary uh fallout or or consequences from little tyrants governors who wanted to be on the news all the time mayors who uh wanted to exert their authority and then couldn't even live up to their own standards uh and and i think that there was like an, an elitism too whether you're dying at the french laundry for your friend's birthday or um whether you're, you're sneaking out of the state to go to Florida to enjoy their freedoms. Uh, there was a real entitlement and, and, and so much the press gave them cover. And social media exposed a lot of this. And social media, I think, actually is another good example of, 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 of fractured authority or, or fractured power in a good way. If you just have corporate media telling you what to believe, you're going to hear one message only. If you have sources that can um, legitimately fact check uh, the mainstream press or provide alternative information, uh, you're going to have um, decentralized power. You're going to have. You're less likely going to be lied to by the mainstream press because someone's going to prove them wrong with with a video that goes viral, or you're or you're going to have to acknowledge a legitimate story that has millions of views. So um, this is a real high full of conversation, and I've taken a couple of detours, but uh, that's what I have. Yeah, a lot of my students don't don't think of the government much at all when mm -hmm. and that comes out in their pro government bias. The mm -hmm. only reason they don't they have the bias is because, well, it takes it's a very low attention span. Okay. Uh, for example, I, I taught in business departments for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when I taught business ethics and public policy, which is senior level class, I, I would have kids that are just about to graduate. I call them kids, but mm -hmm. And they, you could tell they'd never even thought about, um, on a deep, any kind of deep way, their 
their liking of Bernie Sanders, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and what that really is about. And mm-hmm. I, I would just say they, they would talk about the one percent, you know, stuff like that. And I, I would say, you know, Bernie the, the, is a one percent. What's that? Bernie is a one percenter himself. Sure. Yeah. Well, what I would say is, uh, you're when you're talking about a, uh, adopting a policy that gives more power to the government mm-hmm. than it already has. You have to realize that the government is an actor that you have to take consideration of how much property the government owns and how mm-hmm. much money is in the government's hands. The government is the 1%. Mm-hmm. The government is a trillionaire, mm-hmm. a multiple trillionaire. So oftentimes they don't even think of the government as an actor at all or, or as an owner of property, for example. Mm-hmm. The government owns 85% of Nevada. Trump mm-hmm. own, Trump owns maybe a block, a half a block, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's just one state, and that's kind of an extreme example because of all the land that the federal government owns there. But the point is made. You mentioned earlier the city manager has the ocean view, and um, I wanted to go back to that because it's there's a parallel with the the federal government. There's a there's an entrenched bureaucracy. Yes. And the bureaucracy is an actor, has power, has interests, mm-hmm. and the interests aren't necessarily your interests, mm-hmm. that they're their own interests. Mm-hmm. And this is how organizations work. Organizations sure. like to look out for their own power, um, their own uh, perks, I guess. Um, and it's the same in, in Washington, D.C., there's, oh, yeah. a, there's a huge bureaucracy there, there they don't stand for election they mm-hmm. they can outlast i love the way you said it you said they the, the city manager in newport beach he can outlast any elected official there or mm-hmm. he or she mm-hmm. um, yeah and, and I, I jokingly call local government if, if we have a deep state in in washington dc I, I locally call local government the shallow state and uh it's not as deep as as the federal government <clears throat> That's good. Uh, it, the shallow state. Yeah, it, 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 it's working for its own interests. And in Washington, it really is the next level. I mean, there's a social structure built around it. Per- permanent Washingtonians who could be at the FDA, which is a group, uh, an entity you wouldn't think has much power, but actually does. <clears throat> or CDC. Wow, we can see how much power the CDC has. Um, <clears throat> uh, one of the it, it, investigative, if you will, or law enforcement agencies. And they might be from New England, they might be from Washington themselves, but they call Washington, D.C. home and they're not going anywhere. And they'll outlast numerous presidents and <clears throat> they go to the same cocktail parties and they've, they've grown up professionally, if you will, with other individuals who also have power, whether it's the military or, or civilian sector of government. And they build relationships and they might not be conspiring, I, you know, I, I don't know enough. I was just uh, uh, just an intern, but they have relationships from the same country clubs and um, attending sporting events and Christmas parties. And there, there is no doubt that the bureaucracy uh, is like any other self-interested entity or people are self-interested and they're running these bureaucracies and they have their own interests in mind. And some can, some can be to, to undermine the president of the United States, like we saw uh, throughout Trump's presidency, uh, 
Um, and, and some can be to be aligned with um, a president uh, because they're, they share an ideological goal or because that president perhaps was able to get many people loyal, loyal to, to him um, or her, maybe she's secretary of state within right. their own uh, departments. And um, yeah. they can, uh, you know, that's why we have the positions that serve at the pleasure of the president, that, that the federal departments are not there to undermine the president. They're there actually to be on the same page as the president. And if, if, the, if there's a problem with what the president's doing, there's Senate, Congress, Supreme Court that are meant to check that president, but we're meant to have a, a, a unitary government. And, and we don't, we don't. We have bureaucrats who have amazing power yeah. and have their own staff, their own government paid for vehicles. They get invited to, to speak at these universities. And, um, you know, in, in the case of, of, of Fauci, they might consider themselves to be some sort of celebrity, which is beyond reprehensible in my opinion. Um, it, it's, it, it's really, um, it's, it's not what the American public think. And then, uh, you know, there, then there's probably people also who are multi-generational, um, that they, they, they've been involved in government, um, for many generations, maybe their grandpa served with FDR or their, right. their father served with Reagan who, you know, connections are very important. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you, you, yeah. most I think have the best interest of the country in mind and, and, and it, it's not nefarious, but people should be aware yeah. that sure. the government is, is, is not a, a, an all loving entity like God No, it's made up of people and they have their yes. own. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's very well said. I love how you said that. Uh, as I reflect on my time teaching in business departments, uh, I realized that my job really was a, a lot of it was to expose my students to what the government is. I mean, a lot of them, they got business, they get business part of getting the business. I mean, they, at, at the undergrad level, they get, they get enough to graduate, I guess. Although I guess we could debate that, but uh, so much of business that you, you learn in college is regulation. And it's like, no one takes a, well, when they had me, they would, but because my background was public law and mm. American politics. So I would teach a business ethics from that perspective where you're like, who, who's this person controlling you? Hold on the regulatory state. What's that? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a whole other entity. And the way we talk about it is so biased. Like people will say he's a public servant, <laughs> the word servant is uh i think an abusive term just like the the word generous that's a generous program no mm -hmm. it's not generous and that guy is not a servant <laughs> he's an employee there's a very big difference uh you know mm -hmm. to say that fauci is a servant mm -hmm. <laughs> what yeah. kind of servant do you have that makes 400 and however yeah. much thousand dollars a year and a huge i'm not going to say generous pension i'm going to say huge pension mm -hmm. plus health care mm -hmm. i mean this what kind of servant are you talking about this is not the person that cleans your house in newport beach this is not the guy that's mowing your lawn 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of servant historically meant, but presumably it wouldn't be someone like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fauci's a wealthy bureaucrat. Why? Why would you? Why if you worked for a private firm with the same pay, mm-hmm. probably uh, not as good uh, retirement? Because I mean, how do you beat the pension? Of course, you can leave it to your kids, though. I don't think you can leave pensions to your kids. So there's difference there. But, but um, you know, we don't call them a servant. And and I notice, like, okay, I'll give you an example. Take public university versus private. Privates pay typically less than public. Mm-hmm. But when you te- you're making more at the public university and you're called a public servant. Mm-hmm. And then you, you're actually making much less at the local Christian college, but you're not a servant anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, wait, hold on a second. I'm, I'm, I'm teaching the next generation of Americans how to think when they're a juror on mm-hmm. a murder trial in Compton. And can they uh, see the fallacy in either the defense attorney or the prosecutor, as the case may be, so that an innocent person doesn't go to jail or a a guilty person doesn't go go free? Mm -hmm. Very important. You know, that's that's a public thing. But if you're not educating people effectively, well, why are you a servant? And just because your pay comes to government and you're not a servant, if, if it's, and I, I would say the case is the same in business. I think if you're running a, for example, a local bookstore, my favorite bookstore happens to be half off books in Fullerton. They were mm-hmm. shut down. They were totally shut down and shamed for being open. Uh, the, for part of the last two years, now they opened back up and they made it, but they were, sh- they, they had to close down before. And I was really upset when they closed down before they finally came back, they crawled back, but it's not easy to run a a local bookstore. You know, when your competitor is Amazon and that government action by those public servants was actually sending business to a private, private, huge company Mm -hmm. at the expense of the local bookstore. Yeah. Now, why are these local bookstore people, they're not working for the government, they're private, everything's online, everything's risk. Why are they not servants? Yeah. So anyway, I mean, it's, there's, there's uh, part of my deal is I pay attention to language and how mm. it's used and how it kind of express bias and how it can perpetuate bias. Yeah. And, and I, I really pay attention to the left. The, the left doesn't want small businesses that are independent. They want, uh, uh, they really admire fascists and they want a, a large corporations with um, social rules in place to, to uh, select few to be making all the money. And then they want uh, small business owners and you know, sort of the middle class, class that democracy relies on to be dependent upon the state. Um, and the, the books are a perfect example. Uh, you know, uh, these coders and, and engineers and, and the tech world that can work from home um, were, were able to, to keep their salaries. M- meanwhile, uh, regular family with a small business may have lost their business, may have had to borrow money, may have had to wonder how they're going to feed their family. It really, 
we really saw the true colors of a lot of elected officials and a lot of powerful, wealthy bureaucrats like Fauci. We saw their true colors and who they were. And you shouldn't think it'd be a good idea to to uh, have the civil service. You mentioned the 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 unitary executive, which I totally believe in. Um, and I would refer to the listeners to the previous episode we did on this with John Yu, where we mm -hmm. talked about the um, the unitary executive and and accountability, which is what you're going for. You want accountability. Mm -hmm. The president is accountable to the people. Yes. Uh, in at least two or three ways, but two of the ways is he, first of all, elected. Secondly, can be impeached. So mm -hmm. the Congress also represents the people. Mm -hmm. But but this the the bureaucracy, the rulemaking state oftentimes is not accountable unless they get sued and that costs a lot of money mm -hmm. and it depends on the kind of judges right that are in there the federal judges mm -hmm. i read a case that the kavanaugh sat on when he was at the district court in columbia not the district court the uh the circuit court at, uh, oh. district of columbia and it was reviewing an epa decision and i mean this is it, you have to just read it just to believe it, but they, I, Kavanaugh was on a three judge panel and he voted to, um, to, uh, squash the regulation or the, the action by the EPA in this case. I can't remember exactly what it was, but the reasoning was is that the EPA had not considered costs and the cost benefit analysis. I was so shocked. I dropped the book and I actually was reading it in one of those books in uh, Chapman Law Library. I was oh, I was yeah. reading it and I, I, I dropped the book. I could not believe at the same time I could believe it because I know my students. I, I, I look at it from a professor and I know my students don't don't study sometimes. And they, they 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 have short attention spans. But talk about short attention spans. Now it's in the government and you have a, a major regulatory agency like the EPA making a rule that that affects an industry that has tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in play, probably more. Mm -hmm. I think it was cars. I think it was something about cars. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they did a cost benefit. Now they're supposed to do a cost benefit analysis. They didn't do the cost part. Wow. I mean, what <laughs> so, it would cost the, the private sector? Uh, yeah. Or yeah, yeah yes. The, 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 the public. And, yeah. and it's like, here's the benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the end of the analysis. Well, yeah. you have to factor in costs. You sure do. And sure that's <laughs> the lockdown stuff. Yeah. That that was perfect example. This is the benefit of shutting down everything. And mm -hmm. okay, what are the costs? Yeah, you didn't do the cost part. And if I didn't see it in the federal reporter myself with my own eyes, these are college graduates running the EPA. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. probably Ivy League people, mm -hmm. and I, I could not believe it. I was like, we're screwed. Because this is already in in the government, so you don't need conspiracies. Yeah, it's it, not. It, it's, yeah, yeah, it's actually a much simpler explanation. Yeah. Is just yeah. stupidity. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a culture, it's groupthink, and um, but these it, people uh, had to spend all this money to get attorneys. Yeah, these it's plaintiffs right. had to to spend all this money. It was, it, and it took so long. The courts are so slow. Mm -hmm. So. You know, what you do is so important and what you bring to the table, so important, your your vision of the life of the difference between public and private property is such a basic thing. Mm -hmm.
It sure is. Yeah, the, uh, the EPA um, and all those agencies are so powerful. And they're unelected, these, 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 these agencies. Um, the, the fourth branch are sometimes called. Um, the first being the legislature, where the power resides, the people, Congress, and Senate. And then um, executive being uh, uh, the president and, and then the Supreme Court. And then some would argue that these agencies, um, these sort of faceless, nameless agencies that aren't held accountable to the voters, they, they should be unitarian, as we mentioned, they should be under the president's purview as the executive, but they have quasi-judicial powers as well. And, and, and they even legislate, which is unbelievable. They, they will come up with their own regulations and tell you how to interpret their own regulations. Um, it's not what our founders had, um, had in mind, in my opinion. And it's, uh, it's a big problem. Yeah, where's the separation of powers if a bureaucrat can be a judge? Yeah, can be a legislator and is in the executive branch. That's a huge concern. Sure is. Um, can you give us a sense of what it was like to work in the White House? That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. What was that like for you? It was very exciting. First, I, I love Washington as a town, uh, you know, the rich history and architecture. And uh, I mean, for, for example, my great grandfather, no, great great, I think, served in the Civil War for the North, and he was injured in a battle outside of Washington D.C. And you can visit Arlington, and and uh, I mean, you're just in the heart of American history um, when you're in the nation's capital. A lot of suburbia, that's not the case nowhere. Um, so to get out of suburbia, Orange County, if you will, and and, and to be in Washington was a great experience, and uh, obviously a very interesting politics. So what the Washington Post covers um, and, and what everyone talks about more, the cab drivers talk about politics. It's um, was really an exciting experience. Um, so the, the part of living in the city and the, and the cultural part was really exciting. Now the employment component of being an intern um, for the White House was another layer. And seeing how the White House operates, uh, the Situation Room, how power is delegated, different staff members. Um, what Were you they, able to go into the Situation Room at some point? Uh, the one that was in the Executive Office Building, yes, they were refurbishing or upgrading the one um, in uh, in the White House, I believe. Um, so they have this the soundproof windows, and when the cabinet members come in. They all leave their, it was Blackberries back then. It wasn't iPhones yet. They all leave their Blackberries outside the room and uh, there's some secret service presence. Um, so yeah, uh, just real, real interesting, really exciting. And then um, you know, there's history associated with the White House as well that you know is, is nonpartisan. It's just interesting. And uh, you learn a lot about, uh, about the history surrounding the White House. Yeah. Um, I mean, too much to, I'm having a hard time even, even trying to narrow down some of the neat things. It was amazing. Who was your boss when you were there? Did, did you have a good boss? I worked for a guy, uh, I worked in an office called Office of Strategic Initiatives and Carl Rove created that office for President George W. Bush. No, no president had it prior. And I suspect none will have it after. Um, 
and it was a, a very political office. And they would work on messaging and, 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 and vetting of judicial candidates and um, uh, research and polling. It, it, it was a real, um, it, it, was, it was a real unique office that was sort of considered to be uh, the think tank and, the, and Pete Weiner was the deputy um, who was in charge of that office. And, and, and he worked, he answered to Karl Rove. And then as we know, Karl Rove experienced, you know, uh, a, a unique and, and historic relationship um, with the president. So um, it was part of what they called a Rove world at the time, Office of Public Affairs and Public Liaison and, and strategic initiatives all fall under what they what, what they called Rove World informally, and uh, I did not know the office existed. I applied to a couple offices, and they liked my resume at, in this particular office. So uh, they they pulled and called and interviewed. I still remember when I got the phone call. It was just area code two zero two. There was no um, the other digits were not showing, just two zero two, and so. Uh, took the call and, and, and interviewed and they said, well, how's she can get out here? So um, it was, it, it was not your typical experience. I found out later that it was probably the, uh, the, the toughest office to get an internship in and probably had the most unique experience and really um, uh, was very fortunate that that office um, asked me to work there for them. Uh, I would have been honored to, uh, to, to work in any office, though, in the White House. Yeah. Being an, to be a White House intern is, is really a, a, an amazing opportunity. And, uh, and all the friends I made in the program all had great experiences. Did you ever talk to Carl Rove? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, would email him often and talk to him a couple times. Um, very, very busy. Um, yes, I bet. Yeah. You see, and in, in, in it, it's so busy, they, you know, the emails are often sent without please or thank you. And it's not personal, you know, and, you know, not, they're not putting dear John. I mean, it's boom, matter of fact, hustling and bustling um, constantly, unless it's for a special event um, that might be a presidential ceremony or social in nature. And I, I think that's a little bit of, of, of the East Coast culture too that we don't have out here as much in California, but it it is a whirlwind and it was exhausting and it was a lot of hours and I would be drinking Dr Pepper all the time to stay awake. I got addicted to caffeine. Um, How uh, long was your commute into work? What you know, like? it, 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 it wasn't that bad. I don't remember exactly. I think it was like fifteen or. Or 20 minutes. Uh, you were able to afford to live there? How, did, how were you able to afford to live there? Well, um, I had just taken the bar exam and I had a bar loan okay. money. And so I, I, I continued uh, to live on that as I waited for the bar results. So it worked out pretty well. Uh, did you ever speak to the president or the vice president? Yes. Yes. A couple of times. Um, and again, ceremonial and pasting. Uh, the president was incredibly uh, personable, had, had an amazing memory. I don't know if you ever saw um, what's that movie they did about him. I loved it. I think they called it W. I thought it was hilarious. W, yeah. yeah and where, you know, he's being the hazed. guy from Goonies played the That's played right. W. Yeah. The, he's being hazed in the basement of the, the frat house and he recites everyone's name. 
I mean, he, he is probably a genius when it comes to people's name and personality and remembering them. Um, oh. So uh, he came up and, and, and shook my hand and, you know, he knew that he didn't know me and, you know, but, but he knew that I was among a group of people who, who all worked for him. Um, so great, uh, very warm individual, um, but not, didn't really have a chance to have a substantive conversation with him um, because I'm in a room with a bunch of other people uh, uh, who work for him and who are his dear friends and knew him for um, a really long time, but he still took the time to come over and say hello. And, uh, you know, I, I mustered up a conversation I could at the time, you know, obviously the president of the United States and, and that particular president um, meant a lot to me, um, uh, you know, and have you, have you changed your views about him or do you still like him? Oh yeah, no, as, as, as a human being, I, I definitely do. Um, I think he's a really caring person. I disagreed a little bit with his policies on spending. Um, you know, he's more, with, he's more like his father and, and less yeah. like Reagan on spending. I, I'm, yeah. I'm more of a Reaganite. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have very fond feelings uh, for President George W. Bush. And I thought he was uh, an excellent leader post 9-11. And um, I, I, I enjoyed working for him and, and, and I still admire him greatly. Um, and then, uh, uh, yes, Dick Cheney, um, yeah. had, he had a movie made about him too. <laughs> that's right. I, I, I haven't seen that one. I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, uh, it's, it's not very, it, it's nothing to remember. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> I had seen him more recently, uh, after the white house when he was out here. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't remember me. I wouldn't expect him to. I think I only met him once, um, when I was an intern, but I, I got to spend some time with him and he is known for being very loyal and good to the people who have worked for him. And he was incredibly gracious and generous with his time. Um, when I had a chance to speak with him in Southern California. Can you leave us with some advice about uh, to younger people who want to get involved in politics? Maybe they want to get in local politics. What advice would you give them? Yeah, you know, I, I, I got a couple of good pieces of advice. One is uh, you can't get your identity from politics. You just can't do it because <clears throat> often people will and it goes away and then what? So you have to get your identity from who you are and and from what you believe in, not from a party or a title or a job or a position. It's, it, I think it, it, it's just not healthy, especially in something like politics. It can be all consuming. If, if as an elected official, if you want it to be all consuming, you can be. I have colleagues who look at comments on social media and spend all this time about what the press says about them. I decided I could care less. And that, and for me, that's freedom. And, and I would, I would highly recommend that. And then if, for young people in general, <clears throat> I try to tell them it, it's okay to fail. As a matter of fact, the most inspirational people failed often. They took a risk, a calculated risk, and they failed, and they failed, and they failed, and it happens again and again and again. And, and, and that's okay. It, it's, it's part of life. Some people use the feel of failure to, to, not, to not try anything and therefore not accomplish as much as, as they could. So I, I believe 
it's important just to know who you are, remember who you are, not get caught up in what other people think or say, um, because they're, they're never going to all like you, especially in politics, where it's almost a 50-50 game, you got two parties. Um, so accept that to be true and uh, take a risk. And, and you're speaking from experience because yeah. you just had an election. Do you want to yeah. say a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I ran for county supervisor. Yeah, I ran for, for county supervisor uh, just recently. And, you know, I had a good showing, um, but there's people who've been in office for a lot longer. One of them has been off for 30 years and she's got a great name and great reputation and she beat me. And you know, what was her name? Uh, her name is Senator Pat Bates. And she, and she will go on to beat the Democrat in the seat. Um, it's a Republican seat in, 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 in a red wave year. But that's well regarded and, and she's paid her dues. And I'm the younger gentleman trying to get more involved. And this is part of life. And do, do I just say, oh, well, that one didn't go the way I wanted to? No, you, you can't. If you really have passion for something, uh, I, I won't say for public service because you and I have talked about, you know, how you feel about that. But if you're real, if, if you have passion for government or, or passion for American politics or anything, really, uh, you've got to be willing to suffer some losses. Babe Ruth had the highest number of strikeouts, but he also had the record on home runs. So swing for the fences and swing off. I love that. I, what I love about your advice is uh, I can tell, first of all, you thought about it before because you came up with that pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, your advice equally applies to people in business, like entrepreneurs or people in small business. You said, don't let it get, let your identity become it. Well, a lot of business owners, their whole identity is their business. Oh, yeah. And, and it's okay to fail. Man, it sounds exactly like uh, the kind of good advice I've heard from business people uh don't don't let it all go to your head and have a ba balanced way of looking at it about the servant thing just by the way i think it's okay to use the term if what you mean by that is a, a heart condition because you, you it's not that you're a servant just by position you have a certain if you have a servant heart you could be a public servant if that's mm -hmm. how you approach it but then you have to equally apply it to the people that have the same heart even if they get a W-2 from a, a private corporation or nonprofit corporation for that matter. That's all I meant by it. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's, you know, I love, I love that you, you have the, no, are you going to run for election again? Do you have any future plans? Or are you going to just go to business back into business well, I, to, to be a servant in business? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. We'll see what God puts in front of me. I, I really view it as, as that. Um, I have about six more months left on city council. It's been a huge honor to be um, councilman and, 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 and mayor for, for Newport Beach. And um, I don't know what's uh, in store. I do know I need to provide for my family and, and, and make a living and I enjoy business. So I'll definitely be uh, uh, continuing to be um, a businessman. If I were younger, I, 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 I wish I would have gone in, 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 into, the, into the military for that experience as well, but that's not really an option. Um, 
So yeah, I'm, if, I'm, if you if I asked you if you had any regrets, is that what you would say or what? Would oh you say? yeah, definitely, regrets. Definitely, I wish I would have after college gone uh, in, uh, into the military, and then the GI Bill also would have helped with law school, which would have been nice, and I could have learned more about the military and our, our history and um, served in that in that capacity, like so many people in my family have. Um, but you know, hindsight, right? It's a lot. It's a lot different. So I, I, I didn't see it at the time. Uh, so yeah, that's probably the biggest, the biggest regret I have professionally is not serving in the military. Well, Kevin, I know that you. Uh, I think I lost track of time here. We got so into this. Um, you you have another appointment, right? That you got to yeah, get to. I, yeah. Okay. I, I All right. I, I apologize for keeping you over, but I was having such a good time with you that I, I just lost track of, of the clock there. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your your wisdom, your experience with us. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Professor. It's great to spend this kind of more formal time with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay.